there in Mark 6. Mark 6, starting at verse 14 in just a few minutes. A few years ago, uh, before my dad passed away, my siblings and I had the rare opportunity to have dinner with him together at the house that we grew up in, just the six of us. As you might imagine, there was a lot of talking over memories and laughing and arguing. It was loud. Sometimes, of course, you know, we're strong and talk over one another. I'm the youngest of five, and so uh, I make my voice heard. Don't worry. For some reason, we started talking about the space program in the 1960s, and it came out that not one, but two of my siblings don't believe that America really landed on the moon. There was silence then, let me tell you. Until everyone just kind of erupted at once. My dad was an, a career officer in the Air Force, so he started in first. And then everyone started arguing about what their opinion was really, really had happened with the astronauts. And in the end, we came away intact as a family. But, whoa, that was a dinner to remember. <laughs> now, could we decide in that evening what was really true? Clearly not. There were extreme viewpoints that were not going to get reconciled that night. But we know the truth is the truth. Either we walked on the moon or we didn't. In the end, sometimes it's our perception of what really happened that we choose to live by, not necessarily what is true. So then how do we decide what is true? We have a complicated relationship with the truth. We see it in our own lives and all around us. We use the truth to our advantage in our interactions, making ourselves look better sometimes than we really are or trying to get ahead in some way. Often we lie for no good reason, even when the truth is evident. Sometimes we align ourselves with those who value truth in the same way that we do, Sometimes we fight vigorously with those who have different notions than we do about what is true, hoping to convince them. Sometimes we talk to people as if we know what they think and we don't. Other times we ignore what we know to be true deep down because we just don't want to deal with it. There are days that we may look around and see how our lack of accepting God's truth is destroying our world. And it makes our souls weary that in so many areas of life, that his truth is not valued. In Mark 6, we read the tragic story of John the Baptist being murdered at a dinner party. John has spoken the truth to people who have great power, and it has not gone well for him. It's hard to read even when we know the outcome, even when we know that God's truth will prevail no matter how many people try to kill it. Even when we know the impact John had was not diminished by his ending. So listen again to the story of what happened in Mark 6. King Herod heard of it. This is what Shannon talked to us last week of what the disciples were going out and doing and the good work that was happening. King Herod heard about Jesus and everything that was going on. For Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead. And for this reason, those powers are at work in him. But others said, eh, it's Elijah. And others said, it's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, 
John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. Soap opera much? (laughs) For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him, John, and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask, I will give you, even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately, she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Let's pray. Father, may the truth that you want to speak to us refresh and encourage our spirits. Please give us ears to hear you. Amen. This is a unique passage because usually when we do something wrong, we are used to those in authority over us giving us consequences. But here, it is the people who are in power flaunting the truth and then punishing the one who is shining the light on how wrong they are. There is no recognition by those who are leading of God's holiness. Do they not know or do they not care? Is it just not relevant to them? This inverted power struggle shows us plainly a tale of two extremes when dealing with the truth. Herod's kingdom and God's kingdom are being contrasted here. Even though we don't see it spelled out, this is an implied and powerful truth. Because we see the conflict of how different ways of thinking can lead to such a clash. In the decisions being grappled with, we see they're fighting not just for control, but how to live. So today we're going to look at four contrasting values and how that contrast led to a drastic end. Because for those of us who live in the middle of the opposites that we see here, the Lord has something to say to us. The first extreme we understand is this. Truth is a generational thing. This Herod's father was Herod the Great, who was ruling when Jesus was born. He is the one that ordered all of the killing of the firstborn sons because he feared being displaced by a new king. The truth of this family is that they live by the notion that nothing gets in the way of their power. When what they want is challenged by an outsider, they deal with it by getting rid of the threat. Because of his paranoia, Herod the Great killed so many of his family members that it became a saying that it was better to be born a pig than his son. 
He was brutal in how he treated people, living by values that he made up along the way of what it meant to rule. Mark calls this Herod a king, but that is not technically accurate. This is what Herod calls himself, but he's really a tetrarch, someone who rules in tandem with three others under the umbrella of Caesar. In Mark's sarcasm, or irony, we see that Herod lies about his title so he can inflate himself more. In contrast, let's think and remember what we know to be true about John. He comes from a line of priests. His father and mother revered the Lord all of their lives and waited for God to bless them with a child. They served Yahweh faithfully even when they did not get what they wanted. It was in the service of the Lord that Zechariah received the news that a son would be born. And after Elizabeth gives birth, this is what Zechariah says. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. So we come to this day when the two sons of Herod and Zechariah have crossed paths. And they are living out how they have been raised. Generational sin and generational blessing come together. And it is a great clash of what is right to each of them. That's not a surprise to us. But let's take it out of their context and talk about our own lives for a second. What were you taught to value in life that you are now living out? What great good or sin has been passed on to you that you now embody? How have you passed that sin or blessing on to the next generation? We are all a mix of blessing and sin in us, but we have a choice daily of how we will live knowing we affect those who come after us, those who are watching us, who live in darkness, those who are trying to see how important the truth of God is to us by what we value. So let us ask the Lord to remove those patterns in us that cause harm and don't bring good. May we be humble as we face our sin, and may we be affirmed by the good of God in us. The second clash we see here is that truth gets tossed aside for pleasure. It's hard to untangle Herod's family tree. The easiest way to understand what is happening is that Herod was first married to a princess from a neighboring kingdom. When he was traveling to see his brother, he met Herodias. Herod's from a big family. Herodias was the wife of one brother and the daughter of a different stepbrother. So she is his niece and his sister-in-law. Maybe he thought she had a great name. Whatever it was that attracted him, he asked her to come away and marry him. He took what he wanted. Now the problem is that Herod is Jewish. He is not the Roman ruler. He is supposed to stand for the Lord. So John tells him, your marriage is not lawful by the book of Leviticus because her husband is still alive. Because for those who say they follow a holy God, it is wrong to toss aside the truth of his word just to have what is pleasing at the time. 
Herod heard the words, but they had no relevance for him. This was not his truth, which, by the way, isn't really a thing. Truth is truth, right? Pilate can say, what is truth? People might say that in our lives, but there is the truth that will set us free. In contrast, what we know about John is that his life was dedicated to God. He lived simply. His pleasure was in serving the Lord and living off the land. He was not perfect, but what we know about him is that he took what he was asked to do for God seriously. He wanted to help people know the truth so they could change the course of their lives. He called people, no matter who they were, to repentance. He was tasked with ruling for God. He was, Herod was tasked with ruling for God with integrity and honor. And when Herod didn't do that, John called him out. Somewhere between these two is where we live. But the passage causes us to think about the pleasure that we take when it is in conflict with what God shows us is right. Is there a way that you're living right now that you've justified, even though you know it's against God's word? There's a lot of focus today on God's love for us, not always in the truth that he commands us. Where is there dissonance in your soul between what you know is right and how you're actually living? I don't need to quote statistics of sin and Christians in the church today. I don't need to go down the litany of what the Bible says is right and how far we have strayed. The Holy Spirit will convict us of how we are living as an affront to the pure life he wants us to have. So I encourage you that when God speaks, that you will humbly listen, that you will make right your life with the Lord, choosing his holiness over what looks good at the time. The third thing we see here is that truth is revered until the cost gets too high. So John tells them it's wrong for them to be married. This makes Herodias livid, and she wants to kill him. Herod is intrigued by John's words. He wants to listen more. He doesn't understand them, but he wants John to stay alive because he knows he's a righteous and holy man. He put John in prison so the prophet might be protected from his vengeful wife. But his wife is not stopped by any means. She knows he lives for pleasure, and so she has her daughter come and dance for he and his guests. This is another example of casting off the truth for lust. Basically, this girl is being trafficked in her own home. But the girl pleases so much with her dance that Herod grandly offers half his kingdom. This is an empty promise because, remember, it's not his to give. He is a mid-level manager, not the boss. But no matter, he offers her whatever she wants, which ends up being what her mother wants. And so when the request is made for John's head... Herod is grieved, but he agrees. Herod compromises what little bit of integrity he has so that he will not lose face. In the end, it comes down to his reputation being more important than anything. Herod chose to protect John until he chose to protect himself. And on the day they celebrated Herod's life, he takes John's life. Compromising our integrity to save face happens all the time. Not usually with such disastrous results, but we know it happens in history. 
with rulers even today around the world who have the power. So many people dead because a ruler doesn't want to give up what they think is true. Here we see how John would rather choose death than give up his integrity. In an effort to help them, he has spoken the truth of God to them so that their souls might be free. And instead, they choose to take his life. But John's not going to back down. While locked away, he probably had the opportunity to recant. He probably had the opportunity to say, oh yeah, I didn't really mean that. But while he's in prison, he's more free than anyone else in this story. And John lived out what he knew to be true to the end, so that those who are imprisoned in their sin might really look to God and be free. So where is the breaking point in your life? Where you compromise what you know to be right, because the cost is too high. Where is it that you will give up your integrity, crumbling when the pressure is too intense, and you can't refuse that person in your life who is stronger than you? Again, there is irony here. Herod cares about his oath, but his oath is rendered meaningless because he doesn't stand up for what he truly wants or thinks is right. So if you find yourself today being pressured to live in a way that you know is wrong, take courage and stand up for what is true and good and noble in the sight of our holy God. Lastly, we see here how there was an attempt to silence the truth. What's really interesting here is how this power couple is living very out loud. They're not lying about their union. They are openly defying what would have been culturally acceptable as well as what is morally just. The problem comes when that is not enough for them. John is killed not because he exposed something that no one else knew. He was permanently silent, and one of the reasons is because Herodias just couldn't let it go. She just couldn't ignore the fact that this low-level preacher who really couldn't really change her life was saying that she was in sin. She wanted to live as she wanted to live, and she wanted to have it validated too. Boy, this is something that we see all the time. People can react violently when their choices are not accepted. Fighting, fighting against God, not us. Secondly, she also knows that her husband is open to the truth. What if he starts to believe what John says? Then their marriage is over. John has to be dealt with sooner than later. But truth is a powerful force. It's God's chosen way to bring us back to him. John's John's hitting too close to home here. And so they try to silence him. What do we do when we can't bear to listen to the truth? How do we react in ways that silences those around us? In what ways do we shut it down? Does that really work? It didn't work for Herod. Look what happened. He thought that John had come back to haunt him when he heard about Jesus, but he's not losing it. That is the Holy Spirit convicting him of his sin. It's the Lord trying to call Herod back to what is true. So here we see the contrasting of two extremes of understanding the truth. Herod's kingdom is about living for ourselves and for all that is accessible in this life. And God's kingdom is about living for the one who created us and has so much more than what we can even know here. 
Jesus told us the truth will set us free, and one day everything will be revealed. Until then, we have to decide how we're going to live. We have to decide what is true from the moon landing (laughs) to accepting God's word as our own. So what truth is God speaking to today from this passage? One thing we have seen and do know is this. God's truth will never be silenced. It can be denied. It can be ignored when pleasure seems better. It can be compromised when pleasing others. It can be reacted against in the strongest ways possible when we don't want to hear it. But God's truth and word will always prevail. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.